0: Welcome to Divine Truth Podcast with Dr. Stephen M. Huffman. Michael is the senior pastor with Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. The purpose of this podcast is to teach and edify God's people through a verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. To learn more about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. And now, here's Pastor Michael Huffman. ...to Ephesians 2... Ephesians, the second chapter this morning, Ephesians 2, we're going to be focusing on the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, let's read, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, The Spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the minds, and were by the nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved." and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. This is the inerrant, inspired, infallible, and all-sufficient word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for your word. We praise you for the glorious truths of this passage that we endeavor to delve into this morning. And Lord, I do pray, Lord, that you would be honored with the preaching of your word. Please, Lord, help me to do so clearly, humbly, with grace and love. And may it please bless the hearer. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. So the theme of today's message this morning is that key um, two-word, life-changing theme, but God. But God. As you see there in verse 4, beginning the verse, but God. Here in our text, Paul makes a wonderful proclamation to the Ephesian church as to who they were before Christ and who they and any repentant sinner is in Christ by the grace of God. Paul paints a bleak picture for us as to who we are by our very nature and what we need by divine intervention. We live in a society today, don't we, that so desperately tries to minimize the heinousness of sin. Paul does not endeavor to do that this morning. Uh, Our society makes sin as little mishaps, small mistakes, um, missteps um, by uninformed people, not cosmic treason against a holy God, which is what sin is. Our world knows nothing of who the Bible says we are outside of Christ and what we truly need in Christ. And to paint the picture of what we'll see in our text, I'd like to give you an illustration. Imagine, if you will, a barren wasteland. No color, no beauty, no song. All is black and white, bleak, cold, lifeless, dead. Dead. Amidst this land, if you have that picture in your mind, I probably don't want to, but let's have it in our mind. Amidst this land, there's a row of corpses that goes for miles, miles and miles. And it goes for miles because there are so many people that inhabit this land. They're shackled, they're in slavery, and they go from death to death without hope. Then suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, a ray of light flashes onto the scene. This light comes, and it penetrates one of these corpses, and this corpse rises, breath in the nostrils, life in the heart. It rises from all these other corpses. Its shackles fell off. It's given a new song, a new heart. And it begins as it's walking this way with the other corpses and just dragging along. It rises and goes the other way. Have that picture in your mind as we look at our text this morning. Because this is the picture that we'll see this morning. This man walks away alive, forgiven, and free. Have that picture in your mind. But before we get to that glorious end, we must begin at the bleak beginning the bleak beginning. And that's where we'll see a divine diagnosis, a divine diagnosis. Look in verse one, if you will. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Stop right there, as our pastor would say. Here, Paul is describing to us the condition that all men are in outside of Christ. In our three opening verses, we have some of the clearest teaching of man's utter state of sinfulness apart from Christ. Um, Brother Glass touched on this perfectly this morning. Who we were outside of Christ, who we are by our very nature, by birth. Every human is born alienated from God. He's separated from God and lost in sin. To be dead spiritually is to be void of any spiritual life, any spiritual stimulus, and any ability to do that which is pleasing to God. That's who we all are outside of Christ. John MacArthur said, Man's basic trouble is not being out of harmony with his heritage or his environment, but being out of harmony with his Creator. As spiritual dead beings, we can do nothing for ourselves. We can do nothing to merit favor in the eyes of God. What can a dead man do? You know the answer. What can a, uh, our pastor ask the question? He's asked it before. What can a dead man do? Stink and rot. That's the only thing he can do. He can do nothing. Nothing. We are not told that we're spiritually sick in need of divine medicine, but rather we're spiritually dead in need of life from God. The world will tell us that man is basically good, and we know this. If you've done any sort of evangelism or any sort of soul winning out in the streets and you ask someone what is their hope for heaven, they'll tell you instantly, you probably know it, well, I'm a good person. I, I try my best. I'm giving it a go, and I'm doing well. That's what they'll tell you. And that's what the world's philosophy says. All men are basically good. They're not certainly dead, lost in sin, absolutely corrupted from the inside out. Absolutely not. In fact, you're labeled a hateful bigot if you say things like that. I'm here to say, by the authority of the word of God, that men from birth are not basically good, but they're utterly dead, dead. Just as a physical body, when dead, is unresponsive to any stimulus, so are we, when spiritually dead, unresponsive to any spiritual life and living. We just don't know. And as Brother Glass pointed out this morning again, 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And then Ephesians 4.18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. We have no ability to do righteousness out of Christ, nor do we have the stimulus to spiritual things. There's no life to react to anything. It's like going up to a corpse and trying to get it to play a game with you or uh, play a, a game of football with you. It has no ability to do anything. It's dead. And this is us outside of Christ. No ability to do anything for the Lord, any stimulus of spiritual things, any knowledge of spiritual things. We're blinded. We're dead. We're dead. In our text, Paul is describing the sphere or the realm in which unconverted people live. Notice that he says they're dead in their trespasses and sins. This is the realm where they live. It's not merely the actions they perform, But where they find themselves, this is where I find myself born. We're not sinners because we commit sin. We sin because we're first sinners. Paul is not, again, merely referring to outward acts that we perform, but a realm in which we exist. And to put it in another way, one does not tell a lie and therefore he becomes a liar. One one is already by his very nature a liar and therefore he lies. One does not steal and therefore becomes a thief. By his very nature from birth he's already a thief. Therefore he steals. And so it goes with murder, adultery, gossip, disrespect, covetousness and every other form of sin. One does not sin and therefore I become a sinner. I'm born a sinner. And that's why I sin. That's why I sin. We're an Adam. As, again, Brother uh, Glass pointed out this morning. I was afraid if he carried on, he'd preach my whole sermon. So, <laughs> but we're an Adam. And before we ever commit a sinful act, because we're an Adam, we are already by nature sinners. This theological concept is what we call the federal headship of Adam. Adam. Meaning, Adam was the firstborn among us and represented all of us. And so as he goes, we go. So Adam was the firstborn among us. He is our federal head. If he were to remain in a state of innocence, we would remain in a state of innocence. But if he would sin, we would be born sinful. And sadly, we all know the choice he made. And because of the choice that our federal head made, all of us are plunged into sin. All of us. Where do we get this concept from? Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, as, one, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. One man sins and plunged the entire lot of us into sin. We're all born sinners. Because Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. And now all of us, by our nature, are sinful. We're all born with a sinful nature. Isn't this what David said in Psalm fifty-one, five? Behold, I was shapened in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Men are not basically good. They're utterly wretched, all of us. Dead, lost, and without hope in, in the world. We're the spiritual walking dead, if you like. Men, apart from the divine grace, are spiritual corpses. And though they have physical life, they breathe, they move, they live physically. As touching things that matter, things that are of eternal value, they have no pulse, no life, no stimulus, no desire, nothing. They're born dead. Get that wrapped around your mind. You're born dead outside of Christ. They have physical life, but again, they have not the faintest of a pulse when it comes to the things that matter. And men everywhere fall short of the standard in which God has commanded us to live. One might be tempted to say, well, I'm not all that bad because I'm not like him. Isn't that what the Pharisee did to the publican? Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that man over there. In fact, he was far worse than that man over there. One might be justified. I'm not Adolf Hitler. I'm not Joseph Stalin. I'm not Jack the Ripper. I'm doing just fine. But the only thing is, is that won't hold water because you're not judged By the standard of, I'm not as bad as the next guy. You're judged by God's perfect law. And in God's perfect law, whether you're Joseph Stalin or Mr. Rogers, you all fall short. You all fall short. What is God's standard? Matthew 5, 48. This is the standard. Be ye therefore perfect. Period. Be perfect. Even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So be perfect like God, and then you enter in heaven. You want to get to heaven by your own works? Fine. For every moment of your life, every millisecond, be absolutely, 100%, spotlessly white and perfect like God the Father. No second can have any blemish, and you'll get to heaven by your works. What a hopeless existence. What a dead existence. 1 Peter 1.16, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. We have a holy God. We serve a holy God. And if we are to make ourselves to this holy God, we must be holy as he is. If we're going to do it on your own effort, give it a go. Give it a go. It'll last. I just failed. I just failed. Perfect righteousness is the standard by which we'll be judged, and what is the standard? This is the standard rather that this we all fall short isn't this what romans three twenty three says for all have sinned, and do what fall short of the glory of God? They miss the mark. My brothers are hunters. I used to be it wasn't very good, never did it very often, but my brothers are hunters, they still do it, and they're good at it. Thank you, so um say you're hunting and you and you have a a deer come by you and you 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 give it a go and you point and you fire flies right past the deer's back that's what it means to miss the mark you've missed your target that's what the bible calls sin you've missed the mark you've missed the target what is that target god's glory you've fallen short. You've missed the mark. This is an all-inclusive verse. It says, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Sure, some may be more sinful than the rest. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would not say that Mr. Rogers was as bad as Adolf Hitler. Sure. I would not say that. But we are all equally in a state of spiritual deadness. You're not judged by your outward acts. You're judged by your nature. And no matter who you are, you all have the same nature. Again, John MacArthur says, relational goodness is helpful to other people and is more pleasing to God. It's a step in the right direction, but a hundred thousand such steps cannot bring a person any nearer to God because it is a sinful condition of sinfulness and not his particular sins that separate him from God. His particular acts of goodness cannot reconcile him to God. So whether you're a loving spouse, a kind parent, a civil law keeper, or a heartless terrorist, we are all equally in a state of spiritual deadness, and therefore we're all equally, by our nature, separated from God. You're dead. You're dead. And Paul takes it another step further. If if that's not already bleak enough, if that's not only hopeless enough, Paul kills us and then buries us he kills us and then digs our grave if you will and that is where we see a determined drive so a divine diagnosis and then a determined drive ephesians uh two two through three wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit thou now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, and the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by the nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So Paul goes from telling the Ephesian church, that you're dead in your sin. He goes from diagnosing us dead now to how our deadness plays out in our life. So you're dead, but here is how it's played out. Paul tells us that by our nature, by our natural condition, we walked or behaved or lived according to the course of this world. And by the word world here, Paul is not referring merely to the physical sphere, the physical globe, if you will, but Paul is referring to the world system, the world's thoughts, the world's value system and way of thinking. What the world holds dear and valuable, you might say, that's how we walked. Paul is saying that we walked in lockstep harmony with the world's values. Everything that the world holds dear is what you held dear outside of Christ. Paul then goes on to tell us then who controls the world's values, the world value system. He says the prince of the power of the air in reference to the devil, the devil. Satan is the god of this world. He is the prince. He is the leader. And everyone outside of Christ comes under his command. They're in his army. They're in his war fight. If you're not a slave to God, you're a slave to Satan. And outside of Christ, you walked in accordance to the ways of this world that is controlled by Satan. That's you outside of Christ. And until the Lord eternally cast him out when he returns, and what a glorious day that'll be, he will continue to rule. 2 Corinthians 4:4, 4, 4, in whom the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of him which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Eyes darkened, dead, and following his every beck and call. That's who we are outside of Christ. Men may have different opinions on certain issues, but on the basic world outlook, they are of the same mind because they have the same leader and therefore the same values. All men in their natural condition, they can be completely polar opposites of the spectrum on political issues, on social issues, on family issues, on all of this thing, but outside of Christ, men in their natural state are all one united in their fight against God. All of them perfectly united. Why? Because they all follow the same leader who is the very personification of rebellion against God. And therefore, we follow because we're rebels against God outside of Christ. Where he goes, we go. We're on a leash by him. But that leash is made of chain and shackles. And we follow him. Though while all men are not always indwelt by Satan or demon-possessed, as you might say. They're always either knowingly or unknowingly under his control and influence. Natural man and Satan himself operate on the same spiritual level. They, they operate on the sp- same spiritual wavelength, if you will. That is rebellion against God. They operate on the same level. And therefore, natural man finds the devil as a common leader and a common lord. What did Christ say in John 8:44? "You're of your Father, the devil, and the less of your Father you will do. So He's your Father, and what He wants you to do outside of Christ, you're going to do." No hope. But I go to church. But I, I was baptized. I even got the cute little white Bible that they give out when you get baptized. I signed the card. I'm a member of a church. If you're not in Christ, you may be in a church. You may have gotten wet. But he's not your Lord. Satan is. And you're dead in sin. You're dead in sin. These willing followers are then called by Paul sons of disobedience. As you see um, in verse, um, let's see here. Forgive me, I I need to find my place. I'm not even on the right place here. I believe it's in verse 2. Yes, at the end of verse 2, children of disobedience. These are the willing followers of the devil. And then in verse 3, Paul goes on to remind believers that before Christ, their conversation or manner of living consisted of them indulging in their lusts and the desires of their flesh. So you not only were dead, but you wallowed in your deadness. You went from death to death, as it were. You loved the very thing that killed you, your sin. And you indulged. You indulged. This is to speak of man's completely selfish devotion to self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. Treat yourself. Be your number one person. Self-indulgence Paul says that's what you did outside of Christ. You indulged in the lust of your flesh and the desires of your heart by nature, man is completely with is consumed. By seeking and indulging in the things that fulfill his flesh, man willingly and gladly wallows in the values and systems of this world, which is controlled by Satan because that and that alone is what satisfies his sinful flesh. The things of God, if you, if you ever go up to a person and you're excited about the things of the Lord and you go up to him and you're excited and you want him to be excited too, but he's not converted, it's literally like talking to a brick wall. You're excited. What's wrong with you? God has saved me. I'm free. His response, that's good. I'm, ha- I'm happy for you. Can't you see? You can see it on my face, can't you? I'm happy for you. It's like talking to a brick wall. It's like trying to talk to this podium right here. No emotion. No gladness. Why? Because the only things that fulfill their lusts are the things of this world if you went out to this person last night and said, you know, I went to a wild party last night. And this wild party ended with me running from the police and I spent a night in jail. Oh, dude, you're so cool. You're so awesome. That must've been a thrill because that's what satisfies his flesh. And that's what they're consumed with. Natural man is dead in sin And the only living and walking he can do is in accordance with the ways of this world, which are in opposition toward God, because they are controlled by Satan and used for self-gratification and fleshly pleasure. And because of this, we are described outside of Christ by our very nature, children of wrath. Children of wrath, apart from Christ, and left to ourselves, We are under, right now, not in eternity, we will be in eternity, but right now, outside of Christ, you're under God's divine wrath. The wrath of God abides on the unconverted even now, now. What does Christ say in John 3, 18? And he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3:36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And what a bleak and hopeless state. By our very nature. And that is to say, what makes us us is not good. It's not sweet and not wonderful. It's corrupt and dead and in rebellion against God. Vodibacum says this, talking about infants. The reason why God makes them so small is because they can't kill you if they're that small. And the reason why they make them so cute is because that you won't kill them because they're so cute. He's not a cute little baby. He's a viper in a diaper, he says. Because by nature, he's a sinner. By nature, he's a sinner. What a bleak picture that Paul paints for us, that by our very nature, we're dead in sin, and we wallow in our deadness, and we indulge in our deadness, and we love it. We love it, every bit of it. And it is our natural condition that makes this next part so very sweet, so very sweet. And that's where we see a dedicated deity. A dedicated deity. So divine diagnosis, a determined drive. I'm dead in sin, and guess what? I'm determined to live in my deadness. No matter what. Watch out, because here I come. But then that light, that flashes onto the scene. A dedicated deity. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God. That's a sermon right there. But God. Because here's who you were, but God. Who is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here we see a divine intervention, a divine initiator, God himself. There we were. Think of yourself before Christ. Right now, just picture it in your mind. There you were, walking in your deadness, helpless, hopeless, lost, wallowing in it, loving in it, eating the slop of it, loving every bit of it, but God. But God shines into the darkness, pierces your heart and gives you life, but God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, thank the Lord for the butts in the Bible. There are many places in the Bible where a situation is not going very well, but God, but God. If left to our own, we surely would stay in our deadness, wouldn't we? If left to your own, you had no life to begin with. And again, what can a dead man do? nothing. So if you're left by yourself, you'd stay there and throughout all eternity be condemned. But God, but God. Therefore, since we are dead in sin, it must be the Lord who comes to give us life. Reconciliation or bringing back together with God is not a problem on God's end. It's a problem on our end. We've offended God. God has done nothing. Unjust to us. We've offended him. And so, therefore, being back brought into a right relationship with him is not a matter on God's end, it's on our end. It's not his problem, it's ours. We need to be brought back together with him. But there's one problem we can't do it. Why? Because I'm dead. What can I do? I'm condemned. But God, but God, we in our sin have caused the separation, but thanks be to God, we see here in our text because of the abounding love that was put on display in rescuing us from ourselves. Thanks be to God. Because he was rich in mercy, as our text says, and because of his great love, as our text says, toward us, he has provided a way for us to be reconciled or brought back together with him. Seeing us in our helpless estate. God the Father... Because of his great mercy toward us, sent the son down to this world, lived a perfect life of obedience for you. So every law you broke, he kept. Every sin you committed, he didn't. Every time you didn't honor your parents, he did. Every time you cursed, he blessed. Every time you blasphemed, he revered. For you. Not just because he was perfect, because he was, but he did it for you. And then, being a perfect law keeper, he goes to the cross and dies the death of a wretched lawbreaker for you. And bears the wrath of God for sinners. The infinite, holy, wrath of God that Paul is painting here, every ounce of it was poured out on Christ for you. So think of it this way. Think of it, I'm standing alone in a field, well not a field, in a on a beach uh, as it were, and say I'm standing alone on a beach and there's this huge miles Tsunami, just from miles to miles. There's no hope. I'm lo- I'm just looking at this thing, and I am going to get crushed. I'm done. I'm done. There's no hope. And then from nowhere, the ground opens up and drinks up every ounce of water, and not one drop gets on you. That's what Christ has done. This infinite tsunami was God's wrath. You're the helpless sinner. Christ is the ground breaking beneath it and swallowing it all up. And not one drop lands on his people. Not one drop. This is what Christ has done. Christ went to the cross, suffered and died, and then rose on the third day. Completing salvation, accomplishing it, and now whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be reconciled. And all this was set in place by his mercy and love wherewith he loved us. No greater love has ever been seen. This is the personification of love. 1 John 4.10, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We didn't love God. We hated God, hated him either knowingly or unknowingly, knowingly with our mouth or unknowingly with our actions in nature, we hated God. Had no affection toward him whatsoever. Hated him. But here in his love, not that you loved him, but he loved you and sent his son, my favorite word, to be the propitiation for our sins. Satisfaction. The debt is paid, salvation free, forgiven, and whole. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, this perfectly um, summarizes the whole of what we're talking about here today. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, and I might add, dead in sin, Christ died for us. Psalm 103.8, The Lord is merciful and glorious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. And then finally, Psalm 136.26, Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. What a great love our Lord has for us. A love undeserved undeserved he's the very definition and personification of love and then we are told more of his love in our next verse we are told amidst our deadness god has quickened us or made us alive he's made us alive even when verse five even when we were dead in sin hath quickened us together with christ by grace you're saved What more can a dead man need than life? If I'm dead, I don't need medicine. If I'm dead, I need life. And we're all spiritually dead outside of Christ. And greater than from a physical realm, in the spiritual realm, if you're spiritually dead, you 10,000 times more need spiritual life. And this is what God provides. This dead man has no greater need. Just as God was the one to breathe the breath of life into the first created man, Adam, so God must breathe the spiritual breath of life into man, or else he's without hope. What does it mean to be made alive with Christ? It means that we're united with Christ in his death and resurrection. What does it mean to be united with Christ in his death and resurrection? What Paul is trying to convey here is that Christ's death is our death, and his resurrection is our resurrection. Or you could say that in the new birth and being made alive together with Christ, just as Christ died for sin, you die to sin. And just as Christ was raised to life, you are raised to newness of life. Romans 6, 4 says, therefore, we are buried with him by the baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Then Romans 6, 6 and 8, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we are dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And then Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live, in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 15.22, for as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Everyone's made alive. So, because we have died to sin, we are now alive to God through Christ. You're either living in sin, alive to sin, and dead to God, or you're dead to sin and you're alive to God. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to God. What did Christ say? A man cannot serve two masters because he'll either hate the one or love the other. You serve one master. And you're either serving sin or you're serving God. There's no in-between ground, no riding the fence. You're a slave to one or you're a slave to the other. You're dead to one or you're alive to the other. If you're alive to God, you're dead to sin. And that means you're dead to con- condemnation. And you're dead to all the things that sin brings. So as you could say, sin brings death, pain, and hell. Christ and salvation brings life, joy, and peace. And then eternal heaven, just to put a cherry on top. Then eternal heaven, by the way. In, our u- in short, in our union with Christ, everything, everything is made alive and brand new. Everything. What is 2 Corinthians 5.17? If, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Everything's new. Everything. We are then told in verse 6 that we have been raised and seated in heavenly places in Christ. This is to mean that we've been transported into a completely different realm. So whereas we were in sin, dead in sin, a dead in sin dead from god apart from god following the course of this world which is under the power of satan in christ we've been transported into a completely different realm we were under the control of satan now we're under the control of god we are under condemnation now there's no condemnation we are in death now we're brought to life we're in a completely different realm remember that i told you In sin was your realm of existence. It's where you were. In Christ, your realm of existence is what? In the heavenly places in Christ. You take your orders from God now. And everything that God gives, you have. And everything that Christ has, you have. Everything. We're no longer under the dominion of Satan, but of God. No longer citizens of this world, but of heaven. We're no longer our own, but you're bought with a price. I'm, se- I'm a self-made man. <laughs> no, you're not. Anything and everything you are is by God's grace. There's a wonderful song, and I love it. It's not a hymn, it's just a a gospel song. Were it not for grace, I can tell you where I'd be. Wandering down some pointless road to nowhere with my salvation up to me. And I know how that would go. The battles I'd face, forever running, but losing the race, were it not for grace. If left to my own, I'm hopeless. But in Christ, I have everything and I've been transported into a new realm, and I'm no longer a citizen of this world with their deadness and their hatred toward God and their condemnation and their useless pursuits that are n- go nowhere, nowhere. So as a Christian, please stop trying to live in accordance with the world. Trying to live as if I can have God and also keep my hold on the world. You can't. And please stop trying to live indulging in the desires of the flesh and the desires of the heart and in the love of this world. Listen to me. The The world can get you nothing but death, hell, and separation from God. Christ can get you everything. No condemnation, peace, forgiveness, Joy, reconciliation, and by the way, eternal heaven when you die. Your pick. Your pick. Christ's yoke is easy. Legalism and the way of the world, very heavy. His yoke is light. Doing it on your own is very, very hard. Very hard. And we've got to finish up here. The full commencement of all these blessings that we have in Christ, though while we enjoy them on earth, because we do, we feel the forgiveness, we feel the joy, we have the reconciliation right now in Christ, but the full commencement of these things will not be realized until we receive the inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And why has God done all this? Why has he done all this? The mystery of the gospel. Come behold the wondrous mystery. This wondrous mystery is the gospel. Because the gospel is a mystery. Why on earth would he do it? Why has he taken these dead, wretched sinners that have nothing to offer him, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Nothing, I have nothing. And why on earth would you take this, me? And not only have you forgiven me and reconciled me, but you've given me the righteousness of Christ to where now I'm seen as perfect and holy in Christ. I have eternal heaven. Everything that Christ has, I have. I'm going to reign with Christ eternally. Why? And not only that, but we're told in Scripture that you're actually seen as a love gift from the Father to the Son. So the Father gives you to the Son to say, I love you. What a gift. Here you go. Yeah, I know. But I love you. That's not how it is. Here is the ransom soul you bought. forgiven free and restored apart from you i don't know him but in you he's a gift to say i love you salvation bought forgiven and free in christ what a hope what a hope and then finally and shortly why has he done all this taking these dead sinners given them life and it was all his doing because we couldn't do anything it was him he initiated it he started this work because remember i couldn't have started this thing i'm dead he started it why verse 7 that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The reason why God has done all that he has done for us in Christ is for our blessing, yes, but most importantly, his glory. This is the reason behind all that God does. God, by his infinite mercy, love, and grace, has rescued us from our spiritual death, has given us spiritual life, has made all things new, has freed us from the power of Satan, made us citizens of heaven, and will one, bra- one day bring us in all this to a culmination when he gives us our eternal reward and all this for soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone alone not because you were so deserving not because i was cute not because i would be real good to be on god's team and god would be real blessed to have me if he could have me not because of any of those things but for his glory and so that his mercy grace and love would be magnified on full display you want to know love you want to see love here it is and it's mine glorify me god says glorify me is this not what verses 8 and 9 of our text says for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself it is the gift of god because god initiated not of works lest any man should boast if i could save myself i'd never save myself but if i could somehow by the by the my bootstraps and i could uh, pull myself up and do all this i could have reason for boasting but I'm dead, I can't do anything, God does it, I'm saved not of myself, but of him. Not of my efforts, but his grace. Not of my striving, his work, his work. What a tiresome life outside of Christ. Forever running, but losing the race. You're forever going. I gave the illustration to my teens. Like a little, uh, what's the animal called? Gerbil? You're a hamster. On, a, uh, on his little ball. If you look at those little guys, they're giving it everything they have. Everything they have. I mean, that thing is spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. But guess what? They're going Nowhere. Nowhere and then i said lovingly outside of christ that's where you that's what you were outside of christ you were a little hamster on a wheel forever running but going nowhere nowhere but god because of his great love saved us and all of it for his glory so that we might say now and throughout all eternity with the Apostle Paul, for of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we praise you for the truth of your word. We praise you for your grace. We praise you, Lord, um, for your kindness toward us. Lord, we praise you, Lord, for your divine initiation, your divine intervention, where we were dead in our sins, you came and brought us to life. We praise you, Lord, for that. Lord, I do pray with all my heart that if there is one that does not know you savingly through Christ as their Lord and as their Savior, that you would save them today, bring them to an end of their selves, an end of their striving, an end of their working, and to acknowledge that I can't do it, but he's done it. May that be their realization today, and may you please save someone today. And for us Christians, I do pray that we would take these glorious truths and that it would prod our sides and cause us to live more and more holy lives for you. Because what else can we do if we've been showed this great of mercy? Your love constrains us, and may that be our plea today. We love you, and we praise you, Lord, for um, this day you've given us to worship in your house and to hear from you through your word. And I pray that it has been a blessing to everyone out here this morning. Lord, keep us now safe throughout the rest of the day, and may we live today in an honorable way towards you. For it is in the name of your Son who loved himself and gave himself for us, we pray. Amen.